Now you know we needed a bigger snow globe. So it's, this is awesome. We have a chance this year to do some neat things in the word of God around this season of incredible wonder. But the reality is, and we, and we know this, that um, although a snow globe paints a picture of a stagnant world, we know that things don't just stay the same. I think we sometimes long for things to stay the same, but the reality is things come along. And in this sin-cursed earth, there will be trouble. Sometimes trouble hits these perfect little pictures we like to present. And we know at Christmas time, it comes around and sometimes the thump that Christmas time is, is our family's not the same. Things aren't the same. There's new dynamics within the snow globe. And mom might want that snow globe picture to put on Facebook, but nobody wants to pose for it. Dad might want the family all together, but a brother and sister might not be talking. People might want everyone to be happy, but the reality is grandma's not there this year and it's the first time she's ever not been there. Snow globes don't stay the same because we don't live in snow globes. There's dynamics to it. And this might stay the same, but I know a way that would shake it up. <laughs> it's an amazing picture in the book of Isaiah. It says that God sits over the circle of the earth as if to say who's actually in control of what goes on. And we can think we can shelter ourselves. In fact, many of us have spent a lot of money maybe trying to shelter ourselves from the world around us so that we could keep everything just the same. But we live in a world where, oh, the enemy is very real and he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He loves to get into places and mess it up. That's what sin is, a corruption of good. And it's very easy to change a dynamic. All I have to do to change the dynamic, watch this, change the little dynamic of this is just go like this, like this, like this. Now my snow globe will change because there's people in it and people change. That relationship might change. Things might be said that hurt one another this year. And it's a different picture, but Christmas comes around and we want that snow globe family Christmas comes around and we want that snow globe dinner. And I think that's sometimes why it extra hurts. Because the reality is dynamics change where people are involved. I'm gonna bring a little more joy to this couple here. We're gonna bring in this. Oh man, this is getting better. Look at that kids building a snowman. It's great when the kids build a snowman. Get the picture. It's, look, look at this beautiful picture. Until moms, they bring the boots into the house, don't they? They don't, they don't ever pick them up, do they? Leave the clothes everywhere. But we had that moment, right? We took the picture. Even if it's not reality, we had that moment. Oh, and, then, and then, you know, it really changes when you bring, I'll put another family in this snow globe. That'll really change the dynamics of that. Oh, and they're singing and nobody has an opinion on music, so that'll be good. We'll just put that in there. We're gonna put that all in there. The dynamic shift. And we understand that that things don't remain the same. Things do grow, things change. And some new things are fully wonderful. Some things are difficult. I don't think there's anything more difficult though 
than when you're going through loss at Christmas time. And make no mistake, when there's change, there's loss. Even when things grow and they're exciting, you've lost sometimes intimacy. You've lost that personal connection. Sometimes when things grow and these things are exciting and there's new things coming, there's still loss, maybe even within your own organization or company. Things are great, things are doing this, but there are some losses you're trying to navigate. And when there's loss, wherever it is, whether it's a person, I'm praying for you if that's true of you this Christmas, or whether it's something that you wished. Because a lot of us have snow globe dreams for our families or for our kids or for our own lives. And some of them snow globes, they die. That's not gonna happen. Our adult son's not coming to Christmas this year. He hasn't talked to us in three years. That snow globe's broke. Our daughter is coming, but she lost someone this year in her life. That snow globe's broke. My mom, she might not be with us. Let's enjoy every moment. Whatever your scenario is, whatever you're going through, Christmas comes around, doesn't it? And because we want those snow globes, we want those pictures. Oh, we go to things like Peddler's Village if you're local to Pennsylvania. We go to these moments where we're hoping to create that and there's nothing wrong with it. And it's wonderful, go do it. But we also know there's a reality that there's loss involved. And a lot of people are going through a sense of loss, especially at the holiday season. Some people are mourning what they would like their work situation to be. Some people are mourning Maybe, maybe you're a young person, you've been injured and you're mourning a season gone. That snow globe season, it's not gonna happen. Maybe, maybe there's an authority figure in your life and, and they're being hard on you. Maybe, maybe you've made a bad decision and you can see that the snow globe isn't gonna be what it is. There's a grief involved with that. And a lot of people sometimes don't stop in the business of our world to grieve the fact that there's been loss. And the reason they're angry and the reason they're upset and the reason they're frustrated is because they had a snow globe of what Christmas dinner's supposed to look like and it doesn't look like that. And somebody storms up the room and, and somebody goes downstairs and somebody goes, all right, everybody, I'll clean up. And it's not what we wanted. We tried so hard to be a snow globe and we're not a snow globe. And the emotions run wild, especially when we're grieving the loss of a dream. Mom, I'm not gonna make it home. The military said I had to stay this extended stay. I'm not gonna get my snow globe Christmas. There's a loss there. You know, people smarter than me have thought through the emotions and worked through the emotions. They've even built what's called a grief cycle. Have you ever heard of it? The grief cycle kind of looks like this. First, there's denial of the loss. Okay, I'm just gonna act like we haven't lost something. We're going on family vacation and everybody's gonna like it. And then you get in the car and there's been a loss in the family and you see it and that snow globe's not happening. Sometimes there's anger for the loss. Someone loses someone tragically, they don't always mourn right away. We've worked with individuals that mourn two years later. Their spouse was like, this death occurred a while ago, but it's like hitting them now. There's depression that can come over the loss. 
You go from this anger and it's their fault and shame and blame to a depression and discouragement because the reality is setting in. There's never gonna be a snow globe again. They're not coming back. Then there can be bargaining. Okay, well, maybe if we, we don't have this, well, we'll do this and then I'll do this or I'll, I'll, I'll figure this out. And then eventually they say there comes to a point where there's an acceptance that there has been a change that's taken place. But make no mistake, there's loss. Now, anyone who's gone through extensive grief knows that's a cute little diagram. That's not reality. Draw that line and make it go everywhere. Denial, bargaining, anger, acceptance, depression, boom, 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 boom. The emotions go everywhere. And they often say with grief, especially tragic grief, it comes in waves. And boy, does one of those waves come when the holidays come. And a lot of times it's because we so long for the snow globe, but the reality is things are broken. Have a good Christmas, guys. No, it's terrible, right? Come on, we need hope, right? That's what the Bible brings. The Bible brings hope. The Bible brings healing. The Bible can bring streams, even in the desert places. That was the name of a devotional book that was given to me when I was navigating one of my first experiences of grief in my early 20s. I didn't really fully understand my emotions, but I was going from angry to depressed, to bargaining, to acceptance, to denial. I was all over the map. And I had someone speak into my life who was a spiritual mentor of mine. And they said, have you ever read the devotional book? Any of you, any of you know this? Streams in the desert? I'm like, no. And they got me one. And there's been brand new copies made of this because it, it came out in like the early 1900s. But what it was is a collection of little devotionals that have been put together by L.B. Coleman. Now, it's, it's a devotional book. It's not a theology book, it's a devotional book, just awesome nuggets. But the story behind the book, we'll dive into as we go a little bit further in our series. But the idea was the author was looking for nuggets of encouragement while their spouse was dying. And so they wanted to encourage their spouse. So they got nuggets to try to do that. And it's put together in this devotional book called Streams in the Desert. And there was one devotional that stood out especially to me because I had a death of a dream. I didn't have a death of a loved one per se in this scenario. I had the death of a dream. I had a death of a snow globe. And I could tell I wasn't gonna get my snow globe and I wasn't accepting it well. Ever been there? And I saw this devotional about Romans 8.28 and it said, we know that all things work together for the good. And sometimes when someone's going through grief, they see the same verse you see all the time, but they see it just a little differently. And, and, it, and, and the author puts out all things, not some things, not some things, not joyous things, all things, everything, this is for the child of God. This is not for those who have not given their life to Jesus Christ. But if you're a child of God, all things. How many things? All things? All things work together for the good. 
I love, I love to quote George Mueller. He says, in 1,000 trials, it is not 500 of them that work for the believer's good. But 999 of them and one beside. They talked different back then, didn't they? But the power of that, it's not 500 of them. 999 plus one. That's how many trials work together for the good of the child of God. And it spoke to me that this pain I'm feeling right now, that this hurt and this suffering and this struggle I had been going through, all of it, God is gonna use for the good. He's gonna work, because I can't see it right now. Right now, the blizzard's shaking. Right now, I can barely see through the snow. But all of this, he's gonna bring together for the good. Do you know where our author got the inspiration of the title of that book? It comes from a verse in the book of Isaiah. And in this verse, the author pulls out this nugget of truth that God brings streams in the desert. So I felt this was worth my investigation now that I'm older in life. I'm certainly not 20 anymore, more like 25 now. Anyway, and I looked this up and I wanted to read these verses. And in these verses, I had gained inspiration that I have used over the past few months whenever I've had the chance to get to speak at different engagements where I think society is all going through some new things. And some of the new things we don't necessarily like. And did you notice God didn't check with you? Sometimes he allows new things into your life. He didn't, he didn't run it by you, did he? Yet it's there. And you can deny it. You can be angry about it. You can bargain, but it's still there. How do you navigate that? When your head's face down in the snow, in the middle, of a dream that's gone. The truth comes from Isaiah about how God, even in the desert, does new things. He says to the people of Israel, let's understand the context. They're living under Babylonian captivity. They are defeated people. They have been disciplined for their poor behavior in regards to Jehovah. They are dealing with national depression. They are disgusted and disturbed by the state of their nation. They're living in a time period where they're depressed about it and discouraged. And within that time, these verses in Isaiah 43 say, remember not the former things, nor consider things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing now it springs forth. Do you not even perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Are you in a wilderness today? Are you in a desert today? God goes, I got you. What? There's hope. There's hope for the face down, buried in the snow, loss of a dream. There's hope. I can make streams in the desert. What's he doing here? And out of this, I started to draw some application in my own life for when I struggle with change that God has allowed 
that I don't necessarily like. Here's the first part. I've learned God often asks me to embrace the change. Instead of deny the change, embrace the change. I'm doing a new thing. This is when God's doing a new thing. God, this isn't the way I wanted it to go. I know that, but I'm doing a new thing. The sooner we embrace a change, this is not cold hearted, but if we've lost something, the sooner we embrace that, the sooner we can move forward. We can spend the rest of our lives saying, why isn't it like this? Why isn't this like this? Why won't this happen? Why won't they do this? We can spend the rest of our Christmas conversations talking about what it should be like. But the reality is this is what it's like. Am I going to embrace it? Remember not the former things. Now there's part of me that raises my hand and says, wait a minute, I am told throughout scripture to remember what God has done. That is one of the keys to the whole, the whole two letters of first and second Peter is to remember, to remember. I'm gonna remind you of these things. So he can't be talking about not remembering what, what God's doing. What's he talking about? He had just said, remember how I brought you out of Egypt. You're incurring captive in Babylon. But remember how I brought you out of Egypt? You crossed the Red Sea? Yeah, yeah, don't think about that anymore. I've got a new way. He is going to prepare for them a new way. And we can see throughout the book of Isaiah, if you read it, that there's this messenger or servant that's called the King of Cyrus, basically, who will help deliver them out of Babylonian captivity. He is definitely doing a new thing, but there's something shadowy lurking through the writings in this book of Isaiah that seem to indicate that this, this will be bigger, this will be bigger, this new thing, than, than just a, a someone leading them out. This is bigger, almost as if there's someone coming. In fact, in a couple areas, it, it, it almost speaks of an individual coming. Embrace the change. So when, so when things come into my life that I don't necessarily, the, one of the best things I could do is just go, okay, this is gonna be hard now. This is gonna be rough. I'm not gonna get over this, but I'm gonna get through this. What's the second part? Nor consider things of old. I want you to dwell on what remains. I put in my notes, I can't be focused on what I've lost when I'm going through God's change in my life. We are so focused on, we used to have that, that used to happen, and we used to do this. I gotta focus on what I still have. What do I still have as I'm going through the change. Yes, that's over. Yes, it's not gonna be like that anymore. See, some of the change we go through is exciting change. Maybe you're in the state where you're getting towards the end of having children at home and you know what it feels like to drop them off at college. You go, I know it's right. I know this is the next stage, but I'm not gonna necessarily like this change. And that's why the tears flow on the way home. And you go, well, now two are gone, but there's always that baby going, but you still have me. <laughs> dwell on what? Spend all your money on what? No, 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 dwell on what remains. Who needs that this morning? What do you have? I've lost so much, what do you have? Grasp what God is doing. He says this, Next thing, North thinks everything is old. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it's springing forth. Do you perceive it? I put 
trees on the stage. You did? You did, God? Because all I'm looking at is this big, ugly drywall. I put trees on the stage, but look at this. We used to have more room in the back. And like, oh, look at those trees. Grasp what I am doing. Don't talk about what I'm not doing. Talk about what I am doing. Focus on what is new and what I'm doing, okay? Okay, I'm trying to follow you. Trust me, I'll make a way in the wilderness. I don't want a way in the wilderness. I want a way in the beautiful paths of snow. But that's not life. And even when you're in the wilderness of uncertainty, I'll make a way. How many people are stuck where they currently are because they don't step out into the wilderness of uncertainty? In a room of dreamers, you will always have a few people telling you every possible thing that could go wrong. That's all they can see. Well, you know this could happen, and I've heard this could happen, and they're great for insurance companies. They need to work there. They're great. They're wonderful for risk management. They're great. It can be a little bit of a killer, though, for moving forward, because like, wow, there's so much risk. I've got to trust even in the uncertainty. I know we have so many people like that here. It's called thinking like the two. Yes, there's giants in the land. Yes, it will be difficult. And yes, those things could happen. You are correct in your risk management. But we've got to remember, God's going with us. I will make a way. You in a wilderness right now? Who needs to hear, hey, I'll make a way in your wilderness. Nobody can, you should see it. I'll make a way. In fact, I'll do one up. I'll make streams in the desert. I'm gonna provide you rest and comfort even in your most difficult times. What? It's almost like when I see them all together, it's like in the whole verse, when God does a new thing, when he's doing a new thing, he works every stage. He works all things together for the good, there is hope for me. And if there's that much nuggets of truth in just a couple verses in Isaiah, I think it'd be worth spending some time this Christmas in the book of Isaiah for, oh, I love to call it the scroll of wonder. Did you know they found the Isaiah scroll in the Dead Sea caves? Yeah, yeah, outside the Valley of the Qumran there, there is a Dead Sea and there's caves there. And, and, and in these caves, they found these scrolls that are called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, and some of the fragments date back to third century BC. Some of these documents are over two 2,000 years old that have been preserved in a cave found only because a kid was throwing rocks. No coincidences with God, though. And in one of the caves was the great Isaiah scroll. And they looked at the manuscripts, which date hundreds of years before our Savior came to earth. And there's prophecy in it that they lined up with the prophecy we have in our scripture. And that document is kept at the great shrine of the book in Jerusalem. That's the great Isaiah scroll. And I was able to sneak in and get it. No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't. We wouldn't be filming it. No, no. And, 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 and it, it, it's awesome. I mean, it's this incredible scroll. And, and they have this and you can stand around and you can see the way they, they set it up. You can walk around and look at it. But this, this scroll shows what we have in our scriptures 
as this wonderful book where Isaiah was a prophet to the people of Israel. Israel was called God's servant, and no doubt they were for that time. But through disobedience, they had fallen under discipline, and Isaiah kept coming to them saying, it's gonna get worse. It's gonna get worse. But there will be a new thing. God will bring them out of Babylonian captivity. We know he was faithful. But within that, there's four songs that are spoken of Isaiah. How many of you have ever heard of these songs? Don't feel bad if you haven't. I've been running it by some of my most astute biblical people and they're like, I actually really haven't heard of these four songs. There's four songs in a certain section of Isaiah. Chapters 40 through like 55 cover what's called often the consolation books. Now, now we're gonna do some depth here this Christmas season, but in this book of consolation, it begins by Isaiah saying, comfort my people, speaking for God. Comfort my people. Even though, even though there's been a death of a snow globe in quotes, comfort my people with these words. And he talks about a servant. And you would easily say, oh, this is speaking of Israel. And many scholars believe that's all that it's speaking of. But there's those who also believe that the individual messenger that it's talking about seems to be an individual servant, that there might be a double meaning. There might be something here pointing, not just to Israel being the servant, but in this prophetic language, it's pointing to a servant who will come. And the servant is described in the four songs. I'll show you where they are. One is Isaiah 42. And it talks about the servant is chosen. And he talks about what he's like to be around. The second one is Isaiah 49. And it talks about the commissioned servant, what he's called to do. The third one is Isaiah 50. And he's referred to as obedient. This servant is very obedient. And the fourth one is Isaiah 52 to 53. And that one is speaking of one who is a suffering servant, born for our transgressions. And it's like, is this servant more than just Israel? Is this servant possibly speaking about the incarnated Jesus Christ, the God man? Is that the servant? Each Sunday leading up to Christmas, I thought we'd open the scroll, if you will, and read about this servant. The first is the chosen servant, Isaiah 42, one through four. What does it say? Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He's my chosen one who pleases me. We're gonna learn four things about this servant. And the first one is this. He is empowered by God, this servant. He has the power of God behind him. So this is no weakling. This servant isn't one who's like, I'm not sure if I can do it. This servant has the power of God, Isaiah says. And then second, he says this. I have put my spirit upon him. So the Holy Spirit, I put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. Interesting. We find out something about this servant. He's not this loud, opinionated pundit of any kind. He's actually quite quiet in his approach. He doesn't shout or raise his voice in public, but make no mistake, he brings forth justice, which could also be translated truth. He is an advocate for truth but he's calm in his approach. Isaiah continues about the servant. He says this, he will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. 
He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. It speaks to the servant. He's gentle. Do you know somebody who is really powerful, really strong, but they're gentle? It doesn't often go together. He's gentle. Any kids out there? You ever get around a campfire with dad and you're trying to light the campfire and you, you flick it and you start a little fire and you're trying to keep the candle lit as you get up, ah, it goes out every time, right? And they're like, okay, you try again. Or, or have you ever seen a candle and it's flickering real small? Mom's gonna light candles probably this Christmas. And one of those candles, it's gonna be struggling. It's gonna be struggling. And you can tilt it a little bit, get the wax out of there. Let this thing burn already, right? Well, well here's the picture of the servant. When he sees a struggling candle, anybody a struggling candle today? You didn't come in here a powerful candle. That was you last year. This year, you're barely flickering. Do you know what the servant of Isaiah is like? He's like this, I got you. I got you. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I know. Wow. Think how gentle this servant is. He's not a, well, you had it coming. Well, you should have. Well, you know the state of the world. You should have expected life to be this hard. No, no. He's like, I got you. Right here. And then, then, then finally, he says this. He will not falter or lose heart. Wait, he won't quit? No. Until justice prevails throughout the whole earth, even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for instruction. Now, now think of Israel going, wait, there's lands beyond the sea even? Lands not even discovered at that time period that will hear about this servant. He seems to be worldwide. He seems to be global. He seems to be unstoppable. And just within that first little, little description of this servant, which many say, is it, is it Israel? Oh, and Israel is mentioned throughout that section of scripture. But is there a double meaning? Is there something even future coming together? Could this servant be someone we know? For he works with the power of God. Look at my servant who I strengthened. He has a nature that he brings justice to the nation so he can fulfill what he sets out to do. He's gentle. In fact, he's more than gentle. You'll see in all four of the servant songs. He's gentle and lowly. Extremely humble. This is not an arrogant servant. And he does his work with ease. He will not falter or lose heart, even, even when it causes and means suffering. Compare that servant to another character in Isaiah. I told you that Israel was under Babylonian captivity. Well, they had a king. And when the king is talked about in Isaiah, you can see foreshadowing that many say, oh, this isn't just the king of Babylon. And Babylon in prophetic literature always represents often evil. This is speaking of Satan himself. In fact, the reference, O day star, son of the dawn, is a giveaway that this isn't only speaking of Isaiah, in Isaiah's time of the king of Babylon, but of the devil himself. Listen to what it says in, in chapter 14. This is, this is wonder, this is unbelievable. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn? How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. Think of the difference between our servant we just met. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. What are the stars of God? The other angels. I'll be above them. You said, 
I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the far reaches of the north. Now, wait a minute. This has got to be more than just the King of Babylon. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high and our educated church family that went through the names of God, Elielon. But you were brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? These are often referred to as the five I will statements. And they're the heartbeat behind pride. They're the heartbeat begun going, I will make my snow globe and protect it and control it. And if you mess with it, I'm coming. Can I illustrate visually? I will be the best. I'll ascend into the heaven above the stars. I will be in control. I'll set my throne on high. I will be respected. I'll sit on the Mount of Assembly. I will be powerful. I will set my throne on high. I will be honored. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will, I will. You can make a lot of money in this world telling people what they should do just for themselves. I will. I will have the most followers. I will be respected. I will not be treated like this. I will not have that taken from me. I will be honored. And look what happens at the top. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Instead, you will be brought down low. This is a visual of a truth you all know. Pride cometh, help me church, pride cometh before the fall. I will, I will, I will, I will fall. Don't you hate when God's taking you through that lesson? It's a tough one, isn't it? Because oftentimes through that lesson, something you don't wanna lose has been taken from you. Wow, those are two contrasting images in the book of Isaiah. But Philippians talks about another servant. What? Oh yeah. The book of Philippians talks about the Lord's servant. Is it the servant of Isaiah? I don't know. Let's take a little look here. We've got four weeks before Christmas, but let's investigate a little bit more. Is this possibly him? This is what Paul says. He gets his church around. He writes them a letter. Remember, one letter would come into town. They would transcribe it. They'd send it around. They'd copy it, but, but they would gather around to hear this. And he says, look, if there's any encouragement you get out of being a Christian, basically, I'm gonna summarize the first few verses. If you get anything out of being a Christian, you get anything out about praying to God, loving one another and having brothers and sisters, you get anything, make my joy complete by behaving and thinking like this servant. Okay, I'm listening. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not only look out to your own interests, but also the interest of others. Have the mind like this. Have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. <laughs> Although he lived, in quotes, stay with the illustration only, 
although he lived in a snow globe of utopia, did not regard that as something that he had to do, but would come to us. He didn't regard equality as something to be grasped. We're gonna unpack this during our series. But he emptied himself, the kenosis, the doctrine of the kenosis, by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, the hypostatic union, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above all names, that at his name, every knee should bow. Church, can I visualize this? I will surrender. I will sacrifice. I will serve. I will submit. I will suffer. And therefore be exalted. So if pride cometh before the fall, I'm learning from this servant, Jesus Christ, if pride cometh before the fall, humility cometh before the rise. Is there anywhere in your life where God is asking you to go down the stairs instead of up the ladder? Is there anywhere that you're being called to surrender something you're holding on to? Maybe even the death of a snow globe. I will. Put up, put, put up that drop one more time. I will. Put this up one more time. Look, look at this, look at this, look at this. I will surrender. It's not the way I wanted it to be. I will sacrifice. Look, I'll serve who's here and what remains. I will serve, all right? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna look, look for you. I'm gonna look for you in this moment, God, and where I see you working, I'm gonna miss, I'm gonna get it. And now it springs up. Okay, not everything's the way I wanna be, but this is springing up, so I'm gonna do it. I will submit. I, I, okay, God, this isn't the way I want it, but, but I'll do it. I'll suffer, even if it means suffering. And, and, and therefore, Folks, it might look a lot different. Things might not be there. You might even find yourself like this. But God can still do a new thing because he's in the business of doing new things. Oh no, maybe the snow globe doesn't look the way you maybe originally thought it would, but you can work with the one you got. And ask God to do a new thing, but you're not gonna find a rise unless there's humility. Chris, do you think the Lord's servant is Jesus? Come on, just come out and say it. Don't make us wait all month. I'm gonna give you a couple clues. In the book of Matthew, chapter 12, Jesus is confronted because a man had a withered hand. And it was the Sabbath you can't heal people. On the, think about that. The supernatural God is walking. Hey, you can't do that on this day. Don't, you can heal his hand. Yeah, but not today. Like, just think about that for a second. That'll give you an afternoon of pondering. 
The man's hand is withered, and they go, are you going to heal it? And Jesus does a master teaching technique, okay? Any communicate lovers, you love when we teach a little communication skills? One of the greatest things you can do for an audience is put them all in the same playing field, okay? The master storytellers do it the most. They present a subject that everybody can go, yeah, that's... That's true of me. It doesn't matter who you are. And Jesus, he's talking to tax collectors who might as well be dead to Jews, okay? And, and then he's talking to sinners. They had categories. And then they have people like, I'm so glad I'm not like them. And then he's got Pharisees. But you know what he all knows? They all have lambs. They all do. It doesn't matter where you're at in life. They need them for their businesses, for their families, for sacrifice, for everything. And Jesus does this. He does this. He's got all these people with all these different views. He says, has anybody ever lost a lamb? Yeah. The tax collector, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the Pharisee, he puts everybody on the same playing field, so they're all listening. He goes, if you lost a lamb, would you go get it? You're gonna go, you're gonna do that, right? And he heals the guy's hand, right in their face. And they go, that's it! And they conspire to get him. And he walks away. And Matthew tells a story. Jesus aware that they wanted to kill him for doing this, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all. He's just healing everybody. Whoever followed him, he was healing. He doesn't always do that. This is incredible. And he ordered them not to make it known. And Matthew says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant who I have chosen. Sound familiar? My beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will he hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he won't quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will even hope. Wow. That servant of Isaiah that gentle and lowly servant we read about? Do you know there's only one time in all four gospels Jesus tells you what his heart is like? You ever wonder what that guy's heart's like? I wonder what his heart's like. Yeah, I see him do this, I see him do that. What's his heart like? Jesus one time tells you what his heart is like. And he says this, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. The grieving heart, the broken dream, the defeated life, Jesus says, learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly. He may have grown up in a church where condemnation was pounded over you. Shame on you, what's wrong with you? If you're a child of God, you know your savior is gentle and lowly. God, I'm hurting right now. I need you right now. We've lost a lot in this globe. Scripture says he's close. Not, not over there. He's close to the brokenhearted because he's gentle and lonely. I'll tell you what, if I've got a hero in scripture, it's my savior and he taught me this. Any investors in the room? 
You say, Chris, not a good time to talk about it. Just any investors, any real estate guys, any real estate ladies. You've heard of the term ROI, return on investment. In other words, young people, stay with me here for a second. If you put a lot into something, if you invest a lot of time, energy, resources, or financially into something, you hope for a return. Do you know there's an amazing, not ROI here in scripture pointed to us? It's a wonder-filled message. It's a, it's a wonder-filled message this Christmas that there's an amazing, R, not ROI, but R-O-S. There is amazing return on serving. There's amazing return for it's what resets a broken life. And so in those moments where God's calling you to surrender something or to sacrifice something or to serve someone or to submit to something or to suffer for someone else, you are living out the incarnation of Jesus Christ. You're not copying some weak wimp who's not afraid to stand for what he believes. You're copying a gentle and lowly servant with the power of God behind him who never gets discouraged and will accomplish what he sets out to do. That's who you're modeling and he taught you. It's the staircase down that leads to exaltation, not the ladder up. You'll be tempted your whole life. I'm tempted every day, church to want to climb a ladder. I'm reminded every day, aren't you church? That I need to go down the staircase of humility and embrace the new. Embrace the new. Maybe even dwell on what you still do have. Maybe notice what God is doing. Maybe even inside that church, notice what God is doing. Trust, despite the uncertainty that surrounds and rest within the sanctuary that God can provide as a lowly and gentle servant. Who do you want to emulate this Christmas? Can I encourage you? If pride cometh before the fall, humility cometh before the rise. So, Where's God calling you to get a good return on surrender? Where's God calling you to get a good return on sacrifice? Where's God calling you to get a good return on submission? And I promise you that whether the snow globes broke or not, that kind of investment over the next month will fill you up more than anything else. Maybe you feel the back seat of your car, not with a present, but with a ride for someone who needs a ride to the hospital. Maybe you fill up a card, not with a note, maybe to a friend, but maybe to a family member who needs to hear how much you love them. Maybe this Christmas, we get a return on servanthood that we could never imagine. And that is something we can control whereas the storms of life, we cannot. And so wherever your snow globe is, maybe even if you're just a flickering candle this morning, know that the message of Christmas is that Jesus provides hope for those 
who will follow in his footsteps and choose a life of servanthood. May we enjoy the wonder of Christmas, but may we enjoy the study of this servant and maybe as we move on, find even more clues as to who this possibly could be pointing to. Heavenly Father, use this series to encourage our hearts. Lord, I know there might be some flickering candles. And the holidays come around and remind us of dreams that are maybe shattered, maybe some difficulty. And some angst comes into our lives when we even think about having to face some of it this Christmas. But I pray we'll remember what you did for us, Jesus. You didn't make your life about staying where you were. You came to us. You lived a perfect, sinless life and you sacrificed yourself on the cross. You submitted to your Father's will and you rose again three days later. And your name has been exalted above every name. Nations still gather to celebrate the Jesus of Christmas. And Lord, if there's anyone in here who does not know that Savior, may they learn the wonder of Christmas that he's a servant. He's gentle and he's lowly. He's close to the brokenhearted. And he's in the business of lifting the heads of those who are discouraged. But the pathway up is down. It's not by forcing a hand, slamming a table, screaming across a room, stomping out of a hallway. The pathway up is serving like Jesus. Thank you for leaving your snow globe. Amen.